Hello, hello. This is Kathy Cola's Audiobooks, and today we start Season 8 with The Alpha by E.J. Fendorf. Special Agent Angel Blondo and Detective Chuck Bonnet come across a grisly crime scene number 5, courtesy of serial killer Roman. Maggie tries to have a romantic evening with her husband, Wayne. Here we go. Warped, rotting plywood prevented entry into Jimmy's chicken roost off Claiborne Avenue. In its fifth year of decay, the graffiti-ridden structure sat recessed on a shaded lot, molested by thick undergrowth. The female's corpse had been discovered on top of a decrepit outdoor picnic table. Yellow police tape sagged around the entire perimeter like a poorly wrapped gift bow. Special Agent Angel Blondo assessed the crime scene from behind dark sunglasses. Her blue t-shirt with the Bureau's emblem grew damper by the minute as the shade from a nearby oak offered little relief. She scribbled on her pocket-sized notebook. The pen recorded observations on a page wrinkled with hand sweat. Each victim had their own notebook of facts and observations. Lead detective Chuck Bonnet, noticeably shorter than his contemporaries, waded through the knee-high weeds to share Angel Shade as the crime scene unit performed their duties. Bonnet chewed his gum with fury, unable to stand still. Despite his nervous energy, he kept an extra 20 pounds on his frame. Believe it or not, Angel, Bonnet swatted bugs from his face. I used to eat here. I wouldn't confess that. One that good. Bonnet seemed to think for a long, frozen moment. Very greasy. He waved at the female's body, then pushed his sunglasses up his slick nose. I guess we all expected this. The fifth victim. A month since the last one. This is definitely Sheila Langford. Bonnet dabbed his face. I listened to your call with Roman three times. I hate your friendship strategy with this maniac. He's telling you where the body is and you don't push for information. Instead, you make a joke about reserving a table. It was more of a flip remark than a joke. Yeah, you should do stand-up. Bonnet released a heavy breath. Any new theories on why Roman picked you to connect with? My sense of humor? Her fingers traced her eyebrows as if wringing them out. For an FBI agent, you do say some off-color shit sometimes. Have I offended your virgin ears? Bonnet's thinning scalp beaded with moisture. A dark, wet stripe extended the length of the detective's lime-green shirt. The man often stretched as if his limbs might lock up. The homicide department was losing people left and right, and unsolved murders were on the rise. The pressure took a hefty toll. I'm lead, Bonnet poked at his chest. Top dog, isn't he supposed to taunt me? You sound jealous, or pissed that I'm forced to work with you. Give me a break. I'm happy the feds are helping out. Shit, take the case off my hands. And I didn't say that. He probably read about the missing bus case in Moreau Parish. My name was in the news. Boom, he's got a target. 
I hope that's true, because knowing him personally would make you a target. Bonnet pointed at the gathering residents. We're getting video of these onlookers. Good. Angel drank from her bottle. Bonnet crept near the body while CSU prepared it for transport. He spastically swatted a bug on his head. You know, even your partner said it. Kyle? Not my partner. Whatever. According to him, Roman's above average intelligence. He's got a private place to keep him. He's careful not to tell you anything over the phone. And he's going to escalate. Tell us something new, Kyle. Shit. Captain Mercier is calling Quantico for him to come in this evening. Yeah, I expected that. Angel wiped at her neck, finishing off her bottle of water. The victim's hospital gown matched the last four victims. She had been placed on her back, hands to her side. Her hair was combed. Well, he has escalated as far as being more comfortable with it. A far cry from the first one just dumped naked in City Park with the gauze. I still don't understand why he bandages the eyes and not the throat. And our amateur optometrist still puts them in a hospital gown. Paper gowns we can't track. Kyle thinks he's recreating a moment he fantasizes about. We'll have to ask Roman when we catch him. The metal on Angel's sunglasses burned despite the parcel of shade. Because the killer picked her, Angel had become a semi-liked consultant on the Blindfold Killer Task Force. Besides Bonnet, completing the task force was Detective Derek Ramsey, tech consultant Stuart Shelton, and Special Agent Kyle Sinatra with the Behavior Analysis Unit of the Bureau. However, he was a profiler and didn't go into the field like television would have one believe. Angel worked out of the FBI field office at the lakefront on police corruption cases. Ironically, the NOPD had requested she assist ever since Roman contacted her with the location of the first murder victim. Detective Bonnet enlisted help from every available officer from any district. They had even accepted Agent Kyle Sinatra's profiling input with open arms. But that hasn't gotten them any closer to a lead, much less a suspect. With each victim, the press had become more critical, causing law enforcement to get tight-lipped. National news stations had started sending correspondence leading to the freaks surfacing on social media. A Facebook fan page had to be taken down. The blindfold killer had garnered enough tweets to be a trending topic for weeks after each murder. Can we make sure he took the eyes? Angel asked. The examiner from the crime scene unit slowly unwrapped the saturated gauze from the victim's head. Her empty black sockets drew a swarm of gnats. The aging CSU member spoke slowly. Oh, yeah. They're gone. The coroner can tell you if he used his fingers again. The man bagged and labeled the discolored cloth. Besides the insect bites and the slashed neck, the exposed parts of her body showcased sporadic bruises. The photographer made sure to capture an Irish flag tattoo on her left ankle. Angel pinched her sagging shirt away from the small of her back. I don't know what new information Kyle will be able to offer. Bonnet shifted to get a different perspective of the body as they wrapped her hands in plastic bags.
Maybe he did something different this time that'll shed some light. Eyes missing, wearing a bandage, and the jugular slashed, yet not bandaged. Less time between victims means he's not satisfied. Angel wrote those observations in her notebook. Bonnet faced her. They were about the same height. I get the feeling my career is on the line here. If we don't catch this guy, I'll be a punchline in the department. No, you won't. But you're right about the tension. It's palpable. Angel wiped under her ponytail. I noticed she's missing a thumbnail. Came off in a struggle? I'm not getting my hopes up we find it, or that it'll have his DNA, and we're not releasing the missing nail to the press. Bonnet spit his gum in a napkin, placing it in his pocket. He chugged half a bottle of water, splashing the little that remained over his head. You okay, Flashdance? He picked the hottest day of the year. The team's bagging her up. Nothing more for you to do here. I'll have Miss Langford's file ready for us first thing in the morning. Use me while you got me. You want to do my paperwork? Nope. I got my own mess on my desk at the field office. I wish you could do the press conference with the brass. Television doesn't like this dog's asshole of a face. He pointed up at his chin. Aw, everyone loves your dog asshole face. Angel ducked under the police tape to leave. Go home. Bonnet raised his elbows. I know first thing I'm going to do is shove an ice cube under each pit. Ew, why put that visual in my head? Motivation. He finally cracked a grin. We have to work on your charm. I'll join the team canvassing the area. What am I going to do at home? Watch Netflix with leftover pizza? We may get lucky with a witness. She left to find the combative Detective Ramsey down the street. Maggie and Wayne Holt's five-year-old daughter had been tucked in and read to, which settled the house into a pleasant, quiet state. Every night after dinner, precious Amy bounced from the chair to the sofa, into the kitchen, and back to her room, most times with her favorite doll flopping along. Maggie basically raised her daughter with little participation from her husband. The tiny firecracker could be exhausting. The house was cool from constant air conditioning. One low-wattage lamp in the living room offered soothing light for Maggie and Wayne as they wound down on the sofa from a long day. But the sweetest part of Maggie's evening was the first few minutes after the little monster fell asleep. Maggie wore what she called her soft clothes, meaning anything good for sleeping. Tonight was a pair of Wayne's boxers, a jazz fest tee, and her silly Homer Simpson slippers. Each foot fit snugly into Homer's mouth, while two sets of huge white eyes with black dots stared up at her. Wayne hadn't changed out of his slacks and buttoned down yet, although he was untucked and shoeless. He didn't get entirely comfortable until after nine o'clock, just in case there was a problem at the print shop. Changing back out of soft clothes demoralized him more than if he just popped up from the sofa and returned to work. With a settled home, Maggie felt a little romantic, but didn't want to make the first move yet. The flat screen on the wall showed a sitcom she enjoyed, although Wayne preferred to play violent video games when alone. 
He had tried to convert her to be a gamer, but she just couldn't. Thankfully, he didn't complain about her choices when a cold beer sat in his hand. Besides, she earned television time by caring for Amy during the day. A breaking bulletin interrupted the sitcom, causing her and Wayne to sigh simultaneously. Typically, a weather forecaster would predict doom as they tracked a light sprinkle, although with the state of the New Orleans pumping system, it could be warranted. A news anchor announced a press conference was about to start. The beautifully groomed woman spoke over a hazy video of police scurrying back and forth in a rundown neighborhood just before dusk. I'll bet they found that missing girl, Wayne said. The quarantined area had yellow crime scene tape as onlookers pointed and held their cell phones high. A melting reporter on the scene voiced that the blindfold killer's fifth victim had been found just off Claiborne Avenue. They mentioned Jimmy's chicken roost and admitted no knowledge on whether an ex-employee might have been involved. Finally, an aerial video from a traffic helicopter zoomed in on a body bag. Poor girl, Maggie whispered, immediately spotting Angel Blondo in a group of cops. How long has it been? The serious anchor then announced the switching to a press conference. The screen showed a podium where several officials stood in wait, dressed in spiffy uniforms with patches and medals in front of a blue backdrop with a crest. Finally, the superintendent of police spoke of the victim. This fool. Wayne scooted to the edge of the cushion. He put his empty beer bottle on the coffee table. Maggie rubbed his back. The police are doing what they can. Hunched forward as if in pain, he turned to her. Which is nothing. So inept. The FBI can't figure it out either. I'm just thankful you're half Japanese. You may be brunette with hazel eyes, but he seems to be sticking with white women. I look more Anglo like my mom. But you can still tell. Wayne wouldn't be contradicted. I heard sunglasses and color contact sales are on the rise. What kind of psycho only goes after women with hazel eyes? And removes them. Wayne shivered, then checked his empty bottle for a swallow he might have missed. Maggie shimmied forward on the sofa to be flush with her husband, but the boxers hunched up like a thong, exposing the side of her butt cheek. She rolled over to pull them back down practically presenting like an animal in the wild kingdom. Wayne was oblivious to making an advance or even a flirty comment. Ever since the honeymoon, sex only seemed to come on special occasions. Maggie's first husband, Harry, had drowned on a fishing trip when Amy was a year old. Then, just about two years ago when she started dating again, she met Wayne by bumping into him at a coffee shop. Things progressed to moving in together and getting married. Coffee has always been their inside joke. She didn't think his interest would diminish that fast. Maggie glanced at the television screen, which repeated the footage of the crime scene. Wayne's romantic apathy soured her mood. Something came over her, and before she knew it, her lips were moving. There's something I never told you. Oh. What? I know that woman. What woman? Maggie hesitated. Her Japanese father had raised her not to tell untruths, 
or there would be severe consequences. As a result, she endured many horrors of inventive punishment that would never fly in today's politically correct American society, and Wayne had a way of glaring at her, just like her father had. She forced her tone to be nonchalant. That FBI agent there? She pointed. Her name is Angel Blondo. Blondo? Like that crime family that was just busted up north? Yeah, she's the same one. Her eyes settled to her lap. I knew her in college. We saw that story on the news together. Why didn't you say something then? He waited for an answer. You had just become my boyfriend. I thought it was too personal. Wait a minute. She's the female fling you mentioned from college? Wayne stared at her. Yeah. Her face burned. Wayne kept silent as the press asked questions on the television. He put the sound on mute. You couldn't tell me the girl you experimented with in college was this Agent Blondo? My past wasn't going to be an info dump in our first few months. I'm telling you now. His eyes squinted. You did more than experiment, didn't you? Did you two date? We did. What was it, a few weeks? No, longer. Maggie's attention returned to the television. The reporter was silently wrapping up. Long enough that I consider her an ex. Wayne clenched his fists. However, no muscles flashed on his soft arms. An ex? So, you're finally interested in what I have to say? I'm always interested for Christ's sake. What is going on with you? He stood. Just how serious was it? Did you love her? Don't wake Amy. Maggie glanced down the hall. She kept her voice low. Angel and I lived together for six months, and it didn't end well. There, you got me. I was 28 when we met. Blame me for having a life. Lived with her? You just keep adding more and more. Were you engaged? That's all. Show me your contact list on your phone. Seriously? Yes, you open this can of worms. Maggie reached for her phone using face recognition. She handed it over and waited with folded arms. Wayne scrolled for a moment. Then his eyes popped to her. Angel B? Yes. He shook his head. Why do you still have her number? Maggie sat up straight. I keep everyone's number. When was our last contact? He tapped on the screen. You thanked her for going to Harry's funeral. It was your last text. He started typing. What are you doing? Asking what's up. He tossed the phone to her. Let me know what she says. Why the hell would you do that? She's probably wondering why I text her after all these years. Why haven't you then? I can't talk to you when you're like this. I still have numbers from high school. I don't even know if they're still good. You want me to text all of them? You can check my phone whenever you want. Trust, she emphasized. Wayne started for the kitchen. Where are you going? To get another beer. Come on, Wayne. I'll take a beer.
Wayne? Maggie watched him disappear without an acknowledgement. Why on earth would she admit to living with Angel? Because she wanted to hurt him. That tactic should be beneath her, but it felt good. Maggie regarded the shape of her hazel eyes in the bathroom mirror before testing the waters in the bedroom. Would the killer really want them simply because of the color? Only a psychopath can take them from their sockets, leaving the optic nerve dangling behind. Her muscles tightened with a chill. According to the news reports, the killer only abducted white women, but the most important physical trait was the iris. The shape of her eyes had the hint of Asian angles, but was generic enough to keep people guessing. Her father was Japanese, and her mother came over from France as a baby, reigning as Miss Teen New Orleans at one time, ironically winning the title on the platform of women's rights. She rested against the vanity, procrastinating. When, in the age of early human evolution, did being attractive become so important? Megumi Nakano Holt's exotic looks had been a curiosity, if not a target, for her classmates through grade school. The boys changed their tune as she bloomed into puberty. However, she still had a difficult time accepting compliments. Her father, Hiroki Nakano, had to approve any boy looking to call on her. In high school, word got around about his restrictions, and those calls soon dwindled. Then, somehow, rumors swirled about Maggie's father being a member of the Asian Mafia. God knows how that had started, as he had left all that behind after moving from Los Angeles when she was a child. It practically ruined her social life. Did Wayne have a point? Should he be upset about Angel? It was a lie by omission. But to text her? Not counting a confusing friendship with a tomboy in sixth grade, Angel was the only woman she had ever loved. She was the first person she had ever lived with, and the only other individual besides Harry she had ever shared her innermost thoughts and feelings. Despite the horrible breakup, she still smiled when Angel came to mind. Wayne's insecurity was pretty much his only defect. The gem she married had a flaw buried deep within. No one noticed, but show it in direct light, and it was glaring. His jealousy seemed more about ownership, about being his. Otherwise, he was quite even and mostly apathetic toward her interests, which made the few times he snapped in anger a scary scene. An apology always followed. She stepped into her husband's view, wearing a black-laced bra and matching undies. The spin classes and yoga gave her a decent body she didn't mind showing off in the bedroom. Her teased, dark mane fell across her face and shoulders. She let Wayne get an eyeful. He said nothing. Don't shrink, Maggie. Her papa would never approve of backing down to a man, especially to one he didn't respect. Most Japanese viewed the male gender as superior, keeping the women silent and subservient. However, her father held his own genetics over those antiquated views. His daughter had as much right to be strong, smart, and to rule the world. 
Otherwise, why marry a strong woman such as her mother? She supposed there were worse parents out there. Did seeing your ex-lover make you horny? He pushed his back up against the headboard. It reminded me of a confusing time in my life. Take this as my apology for not telling you everything. But now you know. And she hasn't texted back. Wayne softened. I'm being an insecure douchebag, right? He drew back the covers with a pat. Maggie crawled onto the bed like a panther and kissed his neck, even purring a bit. A little jealousy is hot. Raging jealousy is scary. If you actually think an old fling can come between us, then we have bigger problems. You're right. I'm here now. He kissed her softly on the lips. I'm really tired, honey. Another time? She answered on reflex as his indifference was like a punch to the gut. Oh, okay. He rolled over, leaving her to stare at the back of his head. And there you have it. Don't forget to join me on Wednesday for Episode 2 of The Alpha by E.J. Findorf. To check out more of my work, go to my website at kathycolas.com. That's C-A-T-H-I-C-O-L-A-S dot com. If you're an author looking to turn your book into an audiobook, email me at kathycolas at gmail.com. Let's talk. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review or share it on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on Monday.